Lord, thank you that you are just um, amazing and present. You are sitting right here with us, desiring us to know and love who you are through your word. Just pray as Janet speaks that you will um, let her get out of the way so that your word can be active and that we can learn amazing things about who you are. Just thank you for her and her willingness to study diligently to bring us your truth. Just lift her up to you tonight, her heart and her mind. Calm any nerves she might have. And again, just thank you for her willingness to bring us your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm so excited about tonight because this is one of my all-time favorite psalms. Now, they're all my favorite, but this is one of my all-time favorites. So, okay, but let me start by telling you a story. I really don't consider myself an adventurous person, but I have had some really great, fun adventures in my life. So in 1995, uh, Russia had recently opened up to missionaries. And so my husband and I were part of this team that went to select cities around Russia. And one of the cities that we went to is called Severodvinsk, and it's 800 miles north of Moscow. So like way up on the White Sea. And it was a closed city, which means that none of the people who lived there were ever allowed to leave, and none of the other Russians were ever allowed to go there. And the reason is because they built nuclear submarines there. So it was like really just a real mysterious place. Well, we had different activities during the day, and then at nighttime, uh, we would go and eat dinner somewhere. So one night, my interpreter asked, would we come and eat dinner at her flat? Well, yes, we would love to do that, and so she invited her family, and I think all her friends, because they packed this little flat just with, I don't know how many people, but... None of the people had ever met Americans, and so they were very, very curious. And we had just really just a question-and-answer session. They would ask questions, and then my interpreter would interpret, and then we'd answer. And so everything from, you know, what do you do in America, and where do you live, and do you have a car, and, you know, do you have a dog, and just little things like that. But one of the questions that they asked that I will never forget, they'd heard a lot of rumors about America, and they really didn't know which were true and which weren't. And one of them said, is it true that if you ever need help, you can pick up your phone and call a number and someone will come and help you. And we said, yes, it's 911. And so they said, well, tell us about it. And we said, well, you just, if you have an emergency, you, you dial 911, then you tell the operator what you need. And then they'll either send the paramedics or the fire department or the police or whatever you need. And so she said, oh, it must be wonderful to live in America. Well, that was our open door right there for the really good news, something far greater than living in America and someone more reliable than 911. So our psalm for tonight talks about where our help comes from. Psalm 121, a song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. 
He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. This is one of 15 songs of ascent. Okay, so we got our PowerPoint there. Okay, this is one of 15 songs of ascent. Psalm 120 through 134 are the songs of ascent. Now, here's the background. Every year, the Jews were required to go to Jerusalem three times a year for the feast seasons. In the spring, it was Passover. In the summer, Pentecost. And in the fall, the Feast of Tabernacles. And Jerusalem, the elevation of Jerusalem is 2,700 feet above sea level. Okay, that means nothing to most of us until I tell you that Dallas is 430 uh, feet above sea level. So, 2,700 feet, no matter where you lived in Jerusalem, you were going to the feast, you were going up. And that's what you were ascending, which is why they call it songs of ascent. These are the 15 songs that they would sing on their way to and from the feast three times a year. They were also called pilgrim songs because they're on a spiritual pilgrimage to the holy city. So they would travel in groups, in large groups of families on the way to and from the feast, and they would sing these 15 songs. Jesus sang these songs when he was growing up three times a year with his family going to and from the feast. He also sang these songs with his disciples going to and from the feast. Now, these 15 songs served as their journey hymnal. Now, we just call them road trip songs. They were made up from a lot of different categories. They had four lament songs of the 15, four lament songs, four songs of confidence, three songs of Zion. Those are celebrating uh, Jerusalem, God's holy city. Two wisdom songs, one praise song, and one thanksgiving song. So it was a whole collection of different songs that made up the songs of ascent. Psalm 121 is a song of confidence. There are 10 songs of confidence, one of them we had last week, and I put them on your handout, the the other, um, all the songs of ascent. The distinguishing characteristic about songs, about songs of confidence is unwavering trust in God, in his ability and his willingness to deliver his people from whatever life throws at them. The Hebrew poetry in this particular psalm is rich and full of parallelism and imagery. And then three more features that I want to explain to you. Okay, so the first one is called merism. This is a figure of speech. It's two extremes that represent everything in between, expressing totality. For example, young and old and everything in between, rich and poor and everything in between. Psalm 121 has five merisms in eight verses. Heaven and earth, day and night, sun and moon, coming and going, now and forever. Okay, so we will revisit merisms in a minute. Okay, the next uh, figure of speech is called metonymy. This is where you have the substitution of one word as a representation of another word. Okay, here's a good example. The White House is stalling on a budget. Okay, White House is a substitution for the president. It's the president that's stalling on a budget. Psalm 121, verse 6, has a metonymy. 
The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The sun represents the dangers in the day, and the moon represents the dangers at night. Okay, and then here's our third uh, that I want to show you, and that's Psalm 121 is an antiphonal psalm. So we have a new vocabulary word, antiphonal. This is an exchange of voices back and forth, either singing or speaking. Now, some of you probably grew up in churches where you had responsive readings. Someone would read one line, then you would read the next line, then they would go back back and forth. That's exactly what this means, antiphonal voices going back and forth. Psalm 121 is an antiphonal psalm. The first two verses are the first singing voice. And then three through eight is the next singing voice, all the rest of the group singing back to the lead singer. There are seven antiphonal psalms, and I've got those written on your handout. And not surprising, four of the antiphonal psalms, four of the seven, are songs of ascent. Because if you think about it, they're on the journey. They're going up to Jerusalem, and they're singing songs back and forth to each other. One person would sing this part, another person sings this part, and then they take turns. So that's what an antiphonal song is. The purpose of antiphonal psalms, they're not really singing to God directly. They're singing to each other back and forth, um, singing words of affirmation about their wonderful God. Okay, so Psalm 121 is an anonymous psalm. We don't know who wrote it. And I want you to take one of the pens off your table and your handout, and we're going to circle some words. Okay. So, verse 3, I want you to circle, watches over. Verse 4, watches over. Verse 5, circle, watches over. Down to verse 7. Line one, the word keep. That's actually the same word in Hebrew as watches over. Next line, watch over. And then verse eight, watch over. Okay, we've got six times in eight verses. Now you tell me, what is the theme of this psalm? The Lord watches over you. And what a great way to end our summer in the Psalms. Okay, here's our outline. The Lord is our helper, keeper, no, helper, watchman, keeper, protector. Okay, verses one and two. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Okay, In 1611, the King James Version came out, and this is how they translated these first two verses. I will lift up mine eyes to the hills, from whence cometh my help. This was an incorrect translation. In other words, I lift up my eyes to the hills, and that's where my help comes from. No, my help doesn't come from the hills. It was incorrectly translated as a statement when, in fact, it's a question. Where does my help come from? Now, because the translation was incorrect, then the interpretation was also incorrect. 
Now, all modern translations have corrected the, um, the mistake by adding a question mark. It should read, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? It is not the awesome beauty of majestic hills that provides help. No, the hills are the problem. You see, they're on a journey going to Jerusalem, and it's uphill. So they're here, their destination is here, and in order to get there, they have to go uphill. That's a problem. Traveling uphill is a challenge, especially in those days. They didn't have four-wheel drive Jeeps. They were traveling on foot. There were bandits in the hills. There were wild animals that roamed the, roamed the hills. They didn't have sophisticated weapons. They couldn't call 911. These travelers were vulnerable to all sorts of problems and dangers. So the psalmist is saying, I look up, I see the hills. How am I going to get over the hills? He's not asking because he doesn't know the answer. He's asking so that he can confidently affirm, I know where my help comes from. And he is saying that to himself and to all the other travelers. Now remember, this is an antiphonal psalm. So they are singing back and forth to each other. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So now we have a name for God and a title for God. God's name Lord, in all caps, that's Yahweh, God's covenant name. And then a title for God is Maker of Heaven and Earth. That title appears 19 times in the Old Testament. The Lord is the Maker of Heaven and Earth. Okay, verse 2, we see our first merism, Heaven and Earth. It means Heaven, Earth, and everything in between, which would include the hills, the rocks, the gravel, the paths, the streams, everything that you will encounter from where you started until you get to Jerusalem. He made the hills, so he knows how to help you over the hills. Now, the word help is the Hebrew word azer. In this context, it doesn't mean assistance. It means intervention. God is not there to help you over the hill at the last minute when you've already done 90% of the work. No, God is there to help you every step of the way. The, The Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, is engaged and involved in the lives of his people. Psalm 46, the Lord is our refuge and strength and ever present help in trouble. The Jews, they were familiar with this concept that God was their helper. So in verses 1 and 2, we have a question and an affirmation. The first singer sings, I look up to the hills. Where does my help come from? And then he answers his own question confidently. The Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, he will help me. So what about our own road trip? We are all on a spiritual pilgrimage to the holy city. Some days we look up and all we see are hills. Who's going to help us over those hills? The Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who made the hills. 
He knows the terrain. He knows the shortcuts. He knows the roadblocks. He knows the detours. And the rest of the psalm now is the other voices telling how the Lord will help us. Verses 3 and 4. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The pronouns you and your in the entire psalm are singular. Now, we don't see that in English. But what it is showing us is that the other voices are responding back to the person who was singing in verses 1 and 2. The group is affirming to the lead singer about the Lord, the one who will be their help, and now adding how the Lord will help you over the hills. So we've got a new image here in verse 3, your foot slipping. This is a Hebrew idiom, and it means to stumble and fall, either physically or metaphorically. The image is you're walking along, you're trudging uphill, all of a sudden you lose your footing and you slip and fall. Verse 3 says, the Lord will give you firm footing. He will keep you stable and upright. Well, that reminds them of another psalm, Psalm 37. If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Okay, so do we have any hikers out there? Who are the hikers in our group? Okay, we got Nika. We got a few hikers. Okay. So hikers know that there are risks in hiking, especially when you're going uphill. You lose your footing, you sprain your ankle, you skin your knees, you slip and fall. These are not paved roads. These are hiker roads. They've got rocks and dirt and gravel. Sometimes there's rain and mud. Going uphill is always a challenge. And then going back downhill when you're on a steep incline, you can also lose your footing. Okay, our key word, watches over, begins in verse 3. This is the Hebrew word, shamar. It is a very common word. In fact, it's used more than 400 times in the Old Testament. It covers everything from to take care of, to protect, to preserve, to guard, to watch over, to keep. It has a wide range of usage, to watch over in a military sense, to watch over a shepherd watching over their sheep. Verse 3 is giving us the image of a night watchman. Okay, Israel's history testifies to the Lord as their night watchman. How did they leave Egypt? Two million people. The Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. That phrase, kept vigil, that's shamar. That's the Lord watched over them to bring them out. Okay, so what would be some of the reasons why you might slip and fall on a hike? Well, maybe you're not watching where you're going. You have a watchman who is watching where you're going. Maybe it's at nighttime and you just can't see. You have a night watchman who can see. There are unseen divots in the road, like their version of potholes. The watchman is familiar with the road. He sees what is up ahead. Maybe you're exhausted and weary from the hike. This watchman is never weary or exhausted. He's never low on strength. 
the Lord does not slumber or sleep. Now, unlike human security guards, the Lord doesn't ever need to take a nap. He doesn't doze off, zone out, get sleepy. He's always on duty. He never takes a day off. The Lord is your watchman. He's always alert. He never takes his eyes off you. Now, this is especially important to travelers because there is anxiety at nighttime. They didn't have the Holiday Inn. They didn't have Coleman pop-up tents. There was much danger to them and their little ones when they traveled at nighttime. Now, traveling to and from the feast was required for all the men. It was not required for the women and the children, but women and children usually went with their families. And so that added extra pressure to protect the women and the children. But they didn't have natural light other than the stars. And on an overcast night, they wouldn't even have that. They had oil lamps. They didn't even have cell phone flashlights that we count on today. They were comforted by the fact that while they were sleeping, the Lord was not. He was the night watchman who never sleeps. Psalm 4, I will lie down and sleep in peace For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. They were familiar with all these words. In verses 3 and 4, the other singers on the road trip are singing back to the singer in verses 1 and 2. The Lord will guard you. He will keep your foot from slipping. The Lord is the watchman who never sleeps. So what do these verses say about our own road trip? We have the ultimate security guard who is watching over us to make sure that we get to our destination. It doesn't say there won't be bumps and bruises along the way, and we will get to that in a minute. A journey uphill is never easy, and we will grow weary at times. But this antiphonal psalm reminds us of our role of encouraging one another along the journey. Some days we're strong and confident, but the next day we doubt. And God wants us to speak truth to one another as we trudge along the journey to the holy city. We need God's people to affirm each other that the Lord is watching over us. When God asked Cain, where's your brother Abel? Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes, you are your brother's keeper. Be there for your brothers and sisters. Remind them where their help comes from. The Apostle Paul tells us, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And this is a great illustration right here, Psalm 121. Singing songs with affirming words that come right out of the Psalms. Verses 5 and 6, The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. Now, New American Standard, ESV, and New King James all translate this first line of verse 5, The Lord is your keeper. This is more accurate than what is on your handout. 
What is on your handout is NIV, watches over. And he was just trying to keep the continuity of the words watches over all the way through the song. But technically, literally, this is the noun form of shamar, not the, not the verb form. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the keeper of Israel. That's one of his titles. And the keeper of Israel preserves and protects Israel, not only the group, but the individual in it. Okay, we have two merisms in verses five and six. Day and night, okay, two extremes and everything in between, and sun and moon, used synonymously for day and night. Two extremes and everything in between. Okay, so we have also a metonymy in verse 6. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. Okay, so remember, metonymy is a figure of speech where you substitute one word for another word. So this metonymy, the sun will not harm you, the moon will not harm you, represent the dangers of the day and the dangers at night. So the song is narrowing in on the two major dangers on the trip. Dangers in the day, dangers at night. So dangers in the day in this particular part of the world. Severe heat, scorching sun, dehydration, fainting. Sounds like Dallas. Okay, can you imagine being out in the Dallas heat and traveling uphill? Okay, they're also traveling with small children and animals that they're taking for their sacrifices. They don't have 7-Eleven. They don't have the drive through for snacks. Now, that's what I would need. They don't have ice coolers. They don't have AC. So they're, it's too hot to travel in the, in the daytime. But as we will see, it's too dangerous to travel at night. The dangers at, in the night, well, first of all, it's cold, they're, they're in a semi-desert region. It is cold at night. Robbers came in groups. Then there was also wild animals. And in this particular place and time, these are the wild animals. Lions, leopards, cheetahs, hyenas, jackals, eagles, and nighthawks. Okay, so which one of those do you want stalking your camp at night? There was a lot of danger. Okay, Next line, the Lord will be your shade. Okay, we have an image here. Shade is protection from the sun, from the burning heat and the glaring light. Shade brings refreshment. So how is it that the Lord provides shade? Well, God's presence provides a shadow where his people can find shade. God's Presence provides a shadow where his people can find shade. Strange thing about shadows, the bigger the person, the bigger the shadow. The Lord is your shade when the heat is on. Get in his shadow. Okay, the next image, your right hand. The Lord will be your shade at your right hand. Your right hand is the symbol of strength and power. It was your sword hand. It was your work hand. Okay, never mind lefties. It was also the symbol of human need. 
and therefore the right hand is the hand that has needs. And in this case, that would be protection from the sun. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The Lord is your shade when you need it. But how does the Lord know when you need shade? He knows because he's watching over you. The Lord has already demonstrated to Israel his faithfulness to watch over them. Remember, he was the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, always watching over the people. After 40 years of wandering in the desert, Moses told Israel, the Lord your God has watched over your journey through all this vast desert. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you and you have not lacked anything. Verses 5 and 6, we see the people on the road trip expressing to each other unquestionable trust in Yahweh, the keeper of Israel, reassuring each other that he will be there for them. He will watch over them. He will watch over all the people and every individual in it. So what about us? When the heat is on, when you're being scorched and blinded by the sun, the Lord is your shade. Get in his shadow. He will refresh you. He'll be there for you. He's got your back. Verses 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. The focus in these verses now shifts to the future, and the context widens beyond the journey to and from the feast. We have two more merisms in verse 8, coming and going. The immediate context is coming and going to and from the feast. The broader context is coming and going anywhere. Going to work in the morning, coming home at work, from work at night, and everything in between. The second merism, now and forever. That's today, forever, and everything in between. These verses speak of God's role as protector. He will keep you from all harm. Now, verse 7, the word keep, that's the same word shamar, the same word watch over. And the word harm in verse 7 is not the same as the word harm in verse 6. Okay, the word harm in verse 7, he will keep you from all harm. This is a very generic word in Hebrew. It's just the word raw. And it covers everything bad, everything evil. So how is the Lord going to keep you from all harm? Well, the next verse tells us he's watching over your life. Now, the word life in Hebrew, is the word nefesh. It means the whole person, not just your physical being, but also your soul. So the singers are expressing confidence to each other that the Lord will watch over them, their lives and their souls. He will not allow anyone or anything to harm them, now and forever and everything in between. These verses speak of blanket protection. Any danger, any time, 24-7, the Lord watches over you. 
Now, the psalm begins with a promise of help to and from the feast. The psalm ends with a promise of protection at every event, now and forever, and everything in between. So here's the question in your mind. Does this mean that nothing bad ever happened to them as they were going to and from the feast? Like no skinned knees, no twisted ankles, nobody ever lost their children. Oh, wait, that would be Jesus, wouldn't it? Yeah, Jesus got lost on the way to the feast. Were these singing pilgrims naive to the dangers, and were they glossing over some of the past tragedies? No, they knew their history. They knew the history of the patriarchs. Let's take Jacob, for example. God promised him on his way to Haran, when he was running away from his brother who was vowing to kill him, God promised him, I will be with you and I will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Okay, so did bad things happen to Jacob when he was in Haran? Yes, including the great exchange on his wedding night. But God was with him in his going to Haran and in his coming home from Haran and everything in between. Does this mean that nothing bad will ever happen to us? It means that the Lord is watching over us to make sure that nothing will ever harm us. Okay, I'm going to give you three examples. The first one is swimming lessons for little kids. Okay, are swimming lessons stressful for a three-year-old? Yes, they're terrifying. Okay, you're going to get water in your nose, you're going to panic, sink to the bottom, you gasp for air. But which is more important, that your three-year-old have a stress-free life or that they learn to swim? Swimming is a life lesson that is required for a successful life. And which is more dangerous, swimming lessons or not knowing how to swim? The temporary anxiety to the child and the parent is well worth it in the long run. Now, your three-year-old will not believe you when you tell them swimming lessons will not harm you. They will help you. You're not going to drown at swimming lessons because someone is watching over you. God has his own training program, and he has life lessons that he wants each one of us to learn on our journey. These lessons will not harm us. They will help us. Okay, second example, Job. Okay, so Job is an extreme case, but this is one that God gave us in the scriptures. When Satan accused God of putting a hedge around Job... God agreed that he would take away the hedge. But then God drew a line in the sand that Satan could not cross. Did bad things happen to Job? Yes, lots of bad things. And in the process, Job came to know God in a deeper and more intimate way. And at the end of the book, Job said, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. In other words, these very hard things have opened my eyes to see God for who he really is. Did those painful experiences 
harm Job or did they help him? The third example, the Apostle Paul. At the end of his life, he writes to Timothy, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. And shortly after he wrote that, he had his head chopped off and was brought safely to his heavenly kingdom. Head chopped off and brought safely sounds like an oxymoron, but not to the Apostle Paul because he really believed this stuff. He believed that nothing could harm him. There was no risk for the Apostle Paul. If he suffers, he, he, he furthers the cause of Christ. If he dies, he arrives at his destination. And what about Jesus? Jesus sang this psalm, Psalm 121. He sang it three times a year his whole life. Did he believe the song? What would Jesus say about this psalm? Would he say, you know, it, it was kind of a nice poem and I, I like the melody, but don't really count on the verses there. No, I don't think that's what Jesus would say. Now, we don't have, have Jesus' response to this psalm, but we have Jesus' words. We have what Jesus did say about life and death and protection. And let me just read you very briefly. Matthew chapter 10, verses 28 through 31. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than sparrows. If God watches over the birds, does he not watch over his people? The Lord has a purpose for every hill that he puts in our lives. And he puts different ones in each of our lives specifically because of what we need. Now, in a physical sense, walking uphill strengthens your muscles and your endurance. And in a spiritual sense, those uphill struggles strengthen our faith and our perseverance. And these are two qualities that we don't get from a trouble-free life. Okay, so our next PowerPoint, God puts hills on our journey to purge the idols from our hearts. We don't normally do that ourselves. God has to do it for us. God puts hills on our journeys to purify our character so that we can be like Jesus. And God puts hills on our journey to prune us for greater fruitfulness. The Lord is watching over us. Nothing can harm us because he will use the bad for good. Now and forever and everything in between. Life is the ultimate road trip and we're all on it. And Psalm 121 is a song for the road. Its short, compact message is, the Lord watches over you. 
For 400 years, the Israelites sang this song to and from the feasts, back and forth. They knew it by heart. And they would need this song when they were taken into exile to Babylon. They would need to sing this song back and forth to each other to encourage each other that God was watching over them in their going into exile and in their coming back from exile, in their going, in their coming, and everything in between. The focus of this psalm is the Lord, not the hills. The Lord is the maker of heaven and earth. He's the maker of the hills that stand in our way. He's the night watchman who will be up all night so you can sleep. The Lord is your shade when the heat is on. And he's got your back when it's all uphill. Some days you look up and all you see are the hills. Tension in your family relationships, student loans still hanging on, chronic health issues, uncertainty at work. How are you going to get over those hills? Your help comes from the Lord, the one who made it all. Now, when I was working on this psalm, I thought it would be good to do a little personal evaluation and ask myself about the hills in my life. And I would say that for the most part, I really do trust God with the hills in my life. I trust that God sovereignly puts the hills in my life that I need. But right now, you know, my life is really not that hard. I live a pretty sheltered life, so it's not that hard to trust God. Two years ago, God put a big hill in my life. Okay, so this hill, some days I can't see around it, and some days I don't know if I'll ever get over it. Here's a picture that I love. This is a picture of my husband, Ethan, and my son, Austin, and then the pipsqueak in the middle, that's me. And I love this picture. It's happy times. I do have a daughter, but she's actually not part of this story. Okay, so this is the picture that I love. And now here's the picture that is the hill in my life. My son is a police officer. Now, being a police officer is a noble profession, but it is not one that I would have ever chosen for my son. And it's hard these days to turn on the news and see that some police officer was ambushed at a traffic stop or to think that people would hate my son because of what some other cop did. And some days, when the doorbell rings unexpectedly, I hold my breath, and I can't even go there. I think 911 is a great way to call for help. But now that my son is taking some of the calls, not so much. And I ask myself, do I trust God with this hill in my life? Do I trust God? to take care of my son the way I trust God to watch over me. And this is how this psalm and all the psalms play out in my life. On days when this hill is huge in front of me and I can't get around it and I can't get over it, I run to the psalms and the words of the psalms are life to me. 
I have spent years memorizing psalm after psalm after psalm, and those words are there for me whenever I need it. And I say the words over and over and over, and they become a prayer for me. Lord, I trust you to watch over my son. I trust you that you will keep him from all harm. I trust you that when he's on night duty, Lord, you're on night duty, and I trust you. And this is one critical part of my support system is God's word. And it helps me to get over the hills in my life. There's another critical part of my support system. And this is my two friends, Donna and Mary, who are here with me tonight. We have been friends for 30 years and we have faced a lot of hills together. And they are the antiphonal voices in my life, speaking truth to affirm to me, Janet, you are trusting God and God is there for Austin. He is watching over him and God will not allow anything to harm him. And I am there for them. We have faced a lot of hills over the years. And that is God's purpose, that we would speak truth to one another as we trudge over the hills together. That's how it's supposed to work with the hills in my life and the hills in yours. Now, I've shared with you one of the hills in my life, and I'm, I, I made through it. I got through it. Okay. God's word and God's people. What are the hills in your life? And who are the antiphonal voices in your life that are speaking truth to you and helping you over the hills? Now, you know, Watermark is huge on community. And this is the reason why we are told in Scripture, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. This is God's will that we would trudge over the hills to the holy city with God's word on our lips and God's people at our side. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. It it speaks life to us. It is so powerful. Lord, thank you for the promises in your word. Lord, they're true. We all want to discount them and say, well, not really, and there's an escape clause, and it's not really true. It is true, Lord. It is true, and we're staking our lives on it, Lord. You know the hills in our lives. You put them there. Lord, we ask you to help us live like we really believe your word. We love you, Lord. We lay our lives before you, and we trust you that you are watching over us today, forever, and everything in between. Amen.